Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Craft Sanity. This week, I'm going to introduce you to a mixed-media collage artist and author living the ultimate creative life in Orlando, Florida. Her name is Claudine Helmuth, and I just love her humorous and whimsical artwork. Her latest pieces include collage scenes featuring old black-and-white photos that she creates stories around. Claudine is 31, and she's worked really hard to make a life for herself as a professional artist. And the cool part is she's willing to tell us how she did it. Claudine travels the country teaching art workshops and makes art in her home studio. And she's recently gotten into doing a lot of commissioned work. And she's going to tell us how she made the transition from art student to professional artist. She's also going to share some tips about how the rest of us can really find our voice as artists. She's written two books. One is called Collage Discovery Workshop and the other is Collage Discovery Workshop Beyond the Unexpected. And she's been featured in two instructional DVDs, fine art poster designs and in numerous magazines. She's even done some cover art for books and her designs have also been fashioned into rubber stamps and scrapbooking supplies. So she's everywhere. And here's the fun part. Thanks to the folks at Northlight Books in Cincinnati, Ohio, the folks who published her two collage books, and they sent me copies to give away. So thank you. Thank you, generous people of Northlight Books. This is going to be a giveaway that will be random. The drawing will be random. However, you're going to have to stay tuned because there's some contest instructions at the end of today's show. Claudine's going to tell you about it. She came up with the contest. She does these Collage Challenge podcasts that are really interesting. I'll have links to those on craftsanity.com. So basically what you're going to need to do is listen for those instructions and then submit your entry by noon Eastern time, Monday, September 11th, for a chance to win one of Claudine's awesome books that will allow you to try out her techniques at home. The books are loaded with clear instructions and several photos, so it really makes for stress-free artistic experimentation because you're not going to be stressed out trying to figure out how the heck she did it <laughs> because you're going to be able to see in a photo if you're you know, someone who really is a visual learner and wants to see what's going on as opposed to just reading instructions. And I'll be giving away four books. There will be four winners. So the chances are better. Usually I only give out one book at a time. Good luck, everyone. And after the show, be sure to check out craftsanity.com for examples of Claudine's work and links to her website, blog, podcasts, and everything else Claudine is doing. So be sure to check that out. Okay, let's get on with the show now. I think a lot of people find out about you through the web. Your work is so fun to look at, and I watched your DVDs, as I said. I didn't. I kind of skipped around, and I found that actually um, these DVDs could be um, a real problem for me because I watched <laughs> I watched the stuff, and I actually went down to my craft room, which I just unpacked after living in the house for almost two years, <laughs> and I'm so excited to have this space now. Oh, and I kept so I kept great. going down there, and I'm like, I actually know where my you know um, my paintbrushes are, <laughs> and everything. Oh, but, I'm so glad. But, There's no better compliment than that that it makes you want to start working yeah and but what i did is i got all my supplies out and i'm like okay it's 1 a.m i'm yeah. this is ridiculous you know i mean but i kept watching of course and um i decided not to like break open the stuff because then i i knew that i probably wouldn't get any sleep all night i mean because i'm i've been known to 
stay up all night. Yeah, and that's just, I'm getting to the point where I kind of have responsibilities. You know, I'm responsible for two little people when my husband's working. We work opposite shifts. And I'm like, you know, I don't want social services called because I stayed up to make a collage. You know what I mean? And then they'd be like, mom's boring. (laughs) You're tired. Yeah, so, and my oldest is not yet two and a half. So I am on the move. little baby. Yeah, about nine months and like, almost two and a half so Uh I'm getting a little far afield here but I I just I mean I love the DVDs and I wasn't sure really what to expect and really really fun so I think you have thank you I'm so glad you enjoyed them yeah and and I was really curious as I'm watching this I'm like oh how okay how did this this woman get to be doing so many things with her art because I think a lot of artists struggle to figure out okay how can I even make any money off this and not have to work the nine to five job in a you know corporate cubicle somewhere so if we can maybe start with take us to your childhood I mean when did you know that you were I mean did you make art as a kid I mean how did this all start I made art even as a little little kid like I think I was probably like the age of your eldest child just a a little bit before two and my mom would spread out all this paper like on the kitchen floor and then she'd like set me loose in my diaper and my <laughs> and my finger paint and I'd just be you know sort of it was probably the most conceptual work that I've done like since then but <laughs> just rolling around <laughs> in space and if I'd done that in college I might have gotten into Yale graduate school <laughs> <laughs> or arrested you know, yeah. or arrested <laughs> I certainly would have gotten a whole new audience for my artwork yeah I think I've interviewed a woman that did some kind of performance rolling around thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> back in college I interviewed a woman who did that but yeah that was a whole different type of art yeah you know? a whole yeah. different type of art but when you're a little kid you're just like so in the moment oh so yeah just, like let me just roll around and then from there, it just kind of, it was something that, um, because my father's side of the family have always been, uh, like, visual artists who then have done um, sort of architecture as a means, you know, as a professional career. Like, they they always seem to want to do visual art, but then um, to be practical, they ended up getting into architecture. So it was always almost kind of expected. Like there was never a like realization on my part. I was as far back as I can remember, I was taking art classes and just doing creative type things and stuff like that. So when it came time to decide which college I should go to, it was just a natural choice to go to a an art focused college and not just a regular university for for myself and and so that's the direction that I took and I I never even thought about what how I would make money like when I left college until like my senior year of college when I became obsessed with I probably didn't really enjoy my senior year of college very much because I was so worried about what I would do next. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of art students go through that, you know, the panic phase. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, because I I applied to graduate schools to sort of delay the inevitable and just keep going because I loved being in college, in art college, so much because it was all just creativity all day long and working in our studios and all that and I I knew I had a good thing going I didn't want to leave and go into the real world right I 
I was so depressed when I graduated. <laughs> well, it just gets, it would have been really expensive if you would have been continuously yes, going yes. to school. I don't know. think, I think my parents would have cut be me like, off. Like, yeah, I, I think ceramics sounds interesting, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, they'd be like, no, Claudine, uh, okay, you're on your own. Now, you were at the Columbus College of Art and Design. That's where you did your undergrad? Oh, yeah, for the first two years, I went to the Columbus College of Art and Design in Columbus, Ohio, and then I transferred to the Corcoran College of Art and Design, which is in Washington, D.C., which is right across the street from the White House. Wow. That's... So I was there when Monica Lewinsky was at the White House. Oh, I love it. Did you did you know Monica? <laughs> no, but I probably passed by her on my way down Connecticut Avenue or something like that. I'm not sure what I would have done if you would have said, yeah, Monica and I were friends. You know? <laughs> no, we were buds. <laughs> no, but it was like right around that same, all that same time. So it's just kind of funny to me to think like, oh, so I was all in D.C. during all this Oh, that's funny. Stuff. So were people like, what was it like to be in D.C. during that time? Well, this was probably when it was actually happening. Oh, I see. So you didn't know was... about the, the yeah, uh, bl- knew kind yet. of the shenanigans going on across the street. Yeah, exactly. I see. Yeah, but I just loved living in D.C. It was just like it's a great city, but it's a manageable city. It's not super huge. And I, I loved it that I could sell my car and I could just walk or take the metro everywhere. So, And I lived in DuPont Circle, which is a neighborhood that was probably about 10, 12 blocks away from the school. So I'd sort of walk to the school every morning. So I just really loved living there, but it's also expensive. So once I graduated, I I took some web, like web design and actually CD-ROM gaming classes. And I have no idea like how <laughs> I decided on these classes because at the time, at the time, I thought I'd just, like, be a secretary, and I'd learn, like, word processing. And, what? Claudine, yeah. you, you thought you were going to be a secretary? Well, I, my whole, like, I had oh, this sort of, like, romantic idea that I would be, like, a secretary, and then at night, I would paint, and then I would, that's what I would do. I, I mean, being a secretary is a very noble profession. As a reporter, I absolutely love secretaries, and I treat them very well, because they really, I realize that they hold the key. To access to all the very important people. You yeah, know? they're the They're actually, in many cases, running the show and just totally underappreciated. But I'm surprised to hear you say that because while you have a fantastic personality and would be, you know, a happy person at the front desk, <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine, like, what the world would be like without your work, you know? I mean, imagine, I mean, th- that... Well, I mean, guess it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I guess. It didn't work out. So did you try to become a secretary? Well, uh, well, I started looking for classes because I'd never even used a computer really before. <laughs> that would make it a little challenging. Yeah, <laughs> all I had in college, because this was, like, 97 when I graduated, so I wasn't too, like... You know, I know a lot of people had computers then, but it wasn't like it was now where, like, everybody has computers. So, like, in college, or at least in art college, you didn't really need a computer. All I needed was, like, I had, I can't even believe I had this. I had, like, one of those typewriters where you could see, like, a couple of lines of text and a little computer screen. Oh, my gosh. I had the same one in college. I, well, maybe not the same exact one, but I, that's what I typed everything on in college. Yeah, that's what I typed everything and on in college. And it seems so archaic now. Yeah. And my mom even had to fight me because she was like, you have to buy this. You need something to type your papers on. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm going to art school. I don't need it. But anyway, long story short. So, so I d- enrolled in some classes at George Washington University, which is also in D.C., 
And the idea was that I would take these classes and I would learn stuff and then I would be able to get employed in some sort of job. And we were looking at the different catalog and I was just like pouting because I didn't want to learn Excel or any of that stuff because it sounded so boring. And then (laughs) my mom found this one that talked about CD-ROM, like game, gaming, like learning to do, like invent the game, game, game like the kids play with. Or, yeah. And I, I was just like, well, you know, that's kind of neat. And and I, I had some friends, well, acquaintances of friends who work down here in Orlando at Disney. So I kind of had an idea like that that would be somewhat at least tangentially creative Anyway, I ended up taking this class, and three days of the class was web design. And for some reason, I just sort of latched on to that. And even though looking at HTML, I, it would, like, make me want to cry because it was like math. It was, like, <laughs> yeah. all these letters and numbers. But I, I enjoyed working in Photoshop because at the time I was doing collage, and I could see how collage would translate very well to working in Photoshop. So... I just started to pique my interest, and so I just went with it. I kept taking that class, and it was a, it was a six-week intensive, so it was every single day of the week for six weeks and, like, almost 10 hours a day. Wow. And so you really learned as much as you possibly could. And then I moved back to Orlando, and I ended up getting a job in a small web design company that was mostly, well, all guys, and I really didn't know that much HTML, so I had, like, my little HTML for dummies book, like, on my lap, (laughs) and I'd sneak little looks at it, like, while I was working, so I pretty much just learned on the job. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, and the guys didn't know, like, Dreamweaver and all that, like, we coded, like, by hand. It used to be very hard, you know, yeah. And And now that's still, like, I can't, I just still just type it all out. Wow. And now, do these guys ever see you with the book, or you were successful at keeping that under wraps? Oh, I don't know. They never said anything. And I think I, like, I'm, even though they maybe knew I was learning on the fly, <laughs> I did a good enough job where it didn't really matter if I was just now learning it. And they were all kind of learning it, too, because it was 97, and, like, the web was just kind of ramping up. Mm -hmm. And so the companies at that time were just starting to figure out that it was a really good thing to have a website that was designed properly and looked nice. So I think we were all kind of learning. At the time, I was maybe just probably like 10 steps behind them. So I I caught up pretty quick because... You know, that's a good thing about immersion learning is you learn really fast. Well, especially when you know you have to learn it, you know. You yeah, just yeah, learn you it. have no choice. So. It's not like, should I do my homework or not? It's like, look, I got to get my job done. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Or they're going to fire me. And so, and then I worked in web design. Uh, that company folded after a, about a year that I was there. And then I wound up getting a job um, with Cox Interactive and um, that's the same company that does, like, Cox Radio and mm-hmm. Cox Newspapers and stuff like that. And so I started working on their websites locally. And then we're, like, starting to approach, like, 2000 at this point. Um, they started laying off people, so then my job responsibilities kept expanding and then finally they like folded that company and I got laid off and then I became a full-time artist. <laughs> oh my goodness. So it was basically the the job market almost is what really led you into 
it looks like what you really wanted to do in the first place. Exactly, exactly. But I was, I should mention, it wasn't just like it ended and then I started my art business. I was, because after a couple of years in web design, I was like, well, this is okay, but I don't want to, you know, I just, I really didn't like going to a job every single day and, and and so I was like, I want to work for myself. So I started building up my, my own business in the evenings and things like that. So very slowly making baby steps, not even sure what I was doing, but I was <laughs> building up my business. And it ended up working out pretty good where when I did get laid off, I was able to transition pretty seamlessly. And I was actually really glad I got laid off because then I didn't have to make the decision myself to leave. That would have been a lot scarier to me to say, okay, I'm going to leave and I'm going to leave all this health care and all this (laughs) kind of thing behind. Right, right. Right. And then people really also wouldn't have the same kind of judgment either because if they're like, oh, well, she was laid off. Yeah, that's why she made the choice. A lot less pressure on you because they're like, oh, poor thing. She's laid off. And now she's really going for it. It's like a success story. And then like instead when you're like, well, I'm leaving my job. Then people are like, are you crazy? You know, exactly. like it's, and it's so funny because the end result could be exactly the same, but the people's attitudes are different. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Well, and make. I think it helps you feel like because that pressure is not coming from the people around you, you're kind of like, you feel, it almost seems like this, even if it's artificial confidence, it's confidence, you know, exactly. that you can just and take the me, next step. Like, and... Even if I'd wanted to get another web design job locally, it, it by 2001 was when I got laid off, like a month after I got married, which worked out great because then I could switch. I was all switched over to my husband's health care and everything. But even if I'd wanted to get another web design job in 2001, it's like forget it. So I felt like free to just try anything else, you know. So that was really freeing. Probably if there had been like, oh, well, I should just go over to company X maybe I would have been a little bit more tempted. Well, and if you can talk a little bit about how you were, you got into, the collage is something you've been doing for a while, but that's not what, you didn't study that in like That wasn't your focus in college, though, was it? Yeah, that wasn't my, my major was in painting and fine art. And I really, I mean, I always kind of did collage in my sketchbooks, but I didn't really start focusing on collage full time until um, the end of my senior year of college after I'd already done all my thesis work, which were like the big, big paintings. And then I was like, yay, I'm done. Like now I can do whatever I want. And so (laughs) then I don't have to justify it or write some big paper about it or anything like that. So then I just started doing these little tiny collages kind of that I'd always done, but bringing them out of my sketchbook and experimenting with incorporating just different media together and stuff like that and so that's and then from there I just never really looked back like mixed media and collage just really I just really love it because you can incorporate all your various interests into the same piece of artwork drawing and photography and painting and things like that and it's interesting that you said, you know, you, you felt free after you got done with all your requirements, you know. So do you wish you would have done more with collage or do you think this worked out just right to be able to have this thing you really loved and no one, no professors telling you, do it this way, write a paper about it? Yeah, probably because by the time I was doing it, we were really out of critiques and all that. And so then I just felt like 
very free. The the only bad thing for me about art college was having to always critique your work, and sometimes those critiques would just leave you, like, wrecked, and you'd be like, oh, I don't know, I hate everything, and then you'd have all these mixed feelings about your work, and so this way, it was very fresh. It was very fresh, and and so when I left college, I just kept right on steamrolling ahead with it, so I didn't even, like, really analyze it a whole lot. I just like this is fun, and I <laughs> so when you were you had these you know the jobs when you were working working on web design, would you go home and make collages? Is that what you did? Yeah, I would go home and only really a few nights a week I would make collages just for like a few hours at night, or I'd try to do it every single night, but for the most part it was a few hours each night, and then maybe on the weekends, and so I probably managed to get about the same amount of art done, like, as I do now as a full-time artist, because now as a full-time artist, I have, like, all these administrative things to do <laughs> right. for myself, too, so it's it was kind of interesting, because when I was like, oh, yay, now I'll be a full-time artist, gosh, I'll just get so much art done, and um, <laughs> and I probably now, looking back, probably got about the same amount of physical artwork done, and and then, like, during the day when I was at work, if I if finished all my projects for work, I would, like, surf around the internet, I would do research, I would work on my own website, I would make copies of things I needed to make copies of, <laughs> I would, like, totally abuse my job, like... <laughs> And, but, I mean, if they asked me if I had work on my plate, of course, like, that came first. But this was, um, if I had any free time at work, I, I I used it to my own advantage. I know I have craft sanity on the brain where I see something or I'll be on my way to an assignment. I see someone doing a public display of crafting, and I, of course, have to stop and talk to them. I mean, it's hard to separate you know, yourself and, and forget the things you love during the day. Oh, so. exactly. And I can't think of anything more soul-crushing than to, like, just be, at least for myself, like, if I had just been at the web design job all day and only focused on that and didn't sort of passive-aggressively, like, filter in some of my <laughs> own interests, you know, and then, because then I would be like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad, you know, look, I can do some stuff for myself, like, now I feel... Now I feel good, and then, like, I'd go back to work maybe, you know, 20 minutes later with, like, renewed enthusiasm for my work. You know, and I'd spend my lunch hours looking at books and things like that or eating at my desk and looking at websites and stuff, too. Yeah, it does. It, there's something to be said about that. You know, I had a particularly bad day at the office this past week, and I decided, all right, that's it. I need 15-minute reprieve here. And I just, you know, took a took a little uh, walk and uh, ended up getting, like, three story ideas for uh, shows I can do. <laughs> so, oh, well, and I came awesome. back to my desk, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to rock, you know? Yeah, well, and I can attest that I think most people do that because just when I look at my blog, my blog hits, it's like Monday through Friday. They're like way up there. Oh, I know. It's it's totally people doing this from work. I yeah, mean, it's totally. totally. I mean, people say, yeah, I kind of wish I could get away with the audio part at work. I mean, I've, I've had so many people tell me that there's people who actually can listen at work. And that, yeah, I mean, with like a headset. Those are like totally awesome jobs that they have. But yeah, I can't really listen at work. I mean, I could on an iPad uh, listen to people's shows, but um, that would be, I'd get into a little trouble. I can't multitask that well. Like if I hear people talking. Yeah. Like, 
I can listen to music, but yeah. I can't listen to people talking because, uh, you know, I'm when I hear anything about art or crafts, my focus shifts entirely to that. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. so, so I would not be, I'd be like, what, huh? School funding, <laughs> huh? You know, yeah. I know. <laughs> so, I'm the same way. Yeah. So when you, you know, you get, you got laid off from your job and you're like, okay, I'm going to switch gears. Were you already selling your work before you were laid off from well, your job? Well, what I was doing, I had already started licensing my work a little bit to different companies who reproduce them on various products. And so that was bringing in a little money, not a whole lot of money at all. But how did you even get into licensing? Like, how do you even, is that a real complicated process? Um, it's, it's not really too complicated. You can look at books. Uh, there's a book called The Artist and Graphic Designers Market, and it has tons. It's like a phone book of companies that look for art images to then reproduce on their products. And so then you can just kind of go through there and do your research and find companies whose work matches your work. So you wouldn't want to send, like, mixed-media work to somebody that does, like, you know, flower, watercolor painting. Right. Or, you right. know, stuff like that. So that, that's sort of where I got my start. And at the time, I, I was just – I still am not – like, I'm still trying to figure out the licensing industry. But I know there's a way to make good money from it. I just haven't figured that out yet. But – um, <laughs> but I was doing a little bit of that. And the main thing that carried me over from my day job into my full-time self-employment was teaching uh, artist workshops. I had already started teaching. I taught just a couple of workshops before I got laid off. I taught at Art Fest, which is out in Washington area in the Puget Sound in Port Townsend, Washington. And where else did I taught? I taught one in Atlanta and and then a local workshop. And I was thinking, hey, I think this is, you know, this is a way I could really supplement my income and teach and meet people and and what would be better than that. So people started asking me to teach different workshops just based on seeing my art and, and my website. And I just started saying yes to all of them as <laughs> I got laid off. And so... That was really what carried me over from working full-time to being self-employed full-time. When it comes to like pricing and knowing how much to charge for a workshop, did you have any guidance or did, how did you figure I that all out? I looked at what other artists were charging and asked them like how much did they charge and they were very, you know, helpful with that. So I just started kind of around that and then each year just sort of raised my prices a little bit until... I thought that they were better where I needed them to be. And also on the workshop circuit, there's other artists that teach. And I became very, very close friends with them. And then we sort of formed like a, like a not really a union, but a mini union. And we just decided our prices so that that way we would all be consistent. And now a right. lot of the conventions, they just have set pricing. So you don't even have to ask, like figure that out. Like if you're going to teach at some of the artist conventions, they have set pricing. And then, so you just take either, you know, if you're not happy with what they offer, then you wouldn't want to teach there. Right. Yeah. But, well, that makes it a little, that might make it easier than you don't have to negotiate because, you know, a lot of artists don't want to be like business people and you kind of have to be though. And Yeah. You know, well, and I didn't even, I hate negotiating. So I just didn't even negotiate. It was just like, 
this is how much I charge per head. And then if I was teaching at a place where I was the only teacher, I would ask for airfare and um, hotel and food and stuff like that so that that way that would offset my expenses. And also that way, because sometimes if you're teaching at a place where you're the only teacher, they don't really promote it a whole lot. So I felt like if they were invested in having to pay for my airfare and food and hotel, they would be much more likely to promote it than if I took on all those costs and just charged them more. Because then they would be like, you know, they would be worried about filling the class and offsetting all their costs and things like that. Well, it sounds like you have learned just tons by doing, just going out there and figuring this whole thing out and networking with other artists. It sounds like great advice for other artists looking to get into the whole workshop circuit. Yeah, really, teaching workshops is is really great. And and what I find, because a lot of the places, they want always new classes, new classes. And I find the further that I get away from my core topics that are really things that I do, the less happy I am teaching. So I'm just I just have my core classes now that I feel really comfortable teaching that are really things that I do and incorporate into my art, and I'm just sticking with that. But I think when you're teaching, you want to teach stuff that that you really do in your work and that you feel really connected to and that because then it just makes life easier to teach because you could talk about it endlessly you don't have to worry about getting up in front of a class and trying to remember what you're going to talk about because it's stuff that's already very connected to you so it sounds like that's you recommend that you know don't teach something you you don't like or you know, yeah or yeah. don't teach something that you know that that you haven't really done or that you <laughs> that know. would be kind of scary you know yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> like you want to teach stuff that that you feel very comfortable with like if you've learned from somebody else that you've taken and expanded on it and ma- really made it your own so that it's your own material that, that that you're teaching. This brings me to another question about your after watching uh, the DVDs that you did. You have two out. Mm-hmm. Really cool. And um, I'll be posting, you know, links and information so people know where to find those. Because I, what I thought is I thought, wow, she's revealing all the secrets right here on these DVDs. Um, and how do you, I mean, that's, that's a delicate thing too, because a lot of artists, you know, you obviously have a defined style, you know, you do a lot of, um, it's, it looks like your, your latest work is very whimsical, happy. It, it, I think invites people to smile when they're looking at it. It's, I, I really enjoy it. And thank you. you know, I watched the, you know, you actually put some of these pieces together on your DVD and I thought, geez, yeah, I could do something this cool, you know? And I mean, of course, I'm sure it won't go, um, I was watching and not actively doing anything at the time, so I'm sure it won't go nearly as smoothly, um, the first <laughs> go round. But did you have a moment before you agreed to, make these DVDs and do the and, and write the books you've written that break everything down kind of step by step and show people how they can make uh, you know collages like yours I mean did you have concerns as an artist like okay this is my thing and now I'm going to be telling people how to do it exactly well a little bit I mean I think it's only natural to feel like this is my thing like I want to hoard it and keep it just to myself but the way that I look at it is if people really want to look, figure out how you did something they will figure it out, like if they really, really want to figure it out. And as part of the, it kind of goes with the territory as being a workshop instructor and an author that people will do derivative work. But then what you hope is is that you give them the tools to then keep expanding 
expanding and growing in their direction and following their own voice. So maybe by following some of your techniques and ideas, it gets them started, but then it they, you know, because true creativity, you start going off in your own tangent you just can't even help yourself right right so that that's what that's what I think happens a lot is that people maybe start off and the first piece they do might be kind of derivative but then they're not happy with that because they want to express their own ideas and their own artistic passion so then they just they just keep experimenting experimenting and they keep growing and then it it becomes their own their own work well, I think that's one of the concerns I'd have, too, if I, you know, start making these collages and they look, I don't want them to look exactly like yours, because I love your stuff, but, you know, I don't think any of us out here that, you know, look at your stuff want to be copycats, you know. What a gift that you're giving to put your, you know, to put put the information out there and, and educate people about how they can make this cool stuff, too. Oh, yeah. So. Well, and, it's, and as far as the techniques, like the background techniques and things like that, like those look different every single time even I do them. So, you know, somebody like you coming along and trying one of the background techniques, your your backgrounds are going to look totally different from mine because of the different materials that you use, the different colors that you use. So things like that are, it's just the, the technique that gets you started. And then before you know it, you're, you're off on a tangent making your own, your own piece of art. And it's wonderful fun, too, to, to find things, to just like found items and assemble them together I got into a kick a few years ago where I was making a lot of like little postcards collage postcards and putting kind of like taking um text totally out of context and, uh-huh. and putting it like gluing a sentence onto you know some strange assemblage I'd make and people you know I brought them to work and I, I bring all my stuff to work and I show it to the people sit around me and they usually are not very interested <laughs> they're not really into art but the one guy's like geez these these seems kind of weird and I'm like well you know it's, it's supposed to be funny you know but it's it's really kind of funny to when you sit down and to be surprised by something you create oh, does that happen and I every love time incorporating text it's so fun because it just does add such a quirky, like I like doing like what you said. It's so fun to do something that's maybe opposite of what's in the picture. Right. Where do you find the images that you use in your work? A lot of the images I get, like the heads and things, those are from eBay or my own family photos, things like that. Uh, every once in a while I'll go on an eBay binge and I'll search around and find, I just uh, buy a bunch of eBay photos. And then I also use some of my own photos, photos of myself and my mom and stuff like that. And so those are most of the the images that I use are from just old antique books and things like that that I I just get off of eBay because I'm lazy and I don't want to go to all the antique stores and things like that. Well, is it fair game if you get if you buy um, some antique box antique photos on eBay and then you start using them in collages and then you want to sell the collages? Is that okay to do? Oh yeah, I mean that's pretty much okay. The, you own the photo. There are like different copyright. I mean, copyright's such a vast thing, but really the way that I look at it, when they're really old photos, like the ones that I I like to use anything kind of like up to like the 1920s, maybe very early 1930s just to be on the safe side so that the people aren't still, you know, around or whatever. <laughs> right. And, and, um, but 
most likely the way that I look at it is if a box of family photos are being sold on eBay, probably their family members aren't really worried about what happens to their photo. Yeah, you know, and there's something kind of sad about family photos being sold on eBay. I mean, oh, if you think I about know. it. Isn't Especially that... when there's like current ones. I always think that's really sad. Yeah. Like nobody, yeah. nobody wants to scrapbook them. Yeah, well, you're making something happy out of those. Yeah, make something totally Orphan photos, yeah. And I I always feel much more free when I'm working with the photos of the people that I don't know because I can make up my own stories. Right, and people that you know, I mean, if you're using photos of your your mom every time, she might be like, look, I don't really like that. (laughs) Oh, I know. Yeah, well, she didn't really like my new work when I first started working in my current style. The style that I call poppets. I just named the whole style. I call them poppets. And why do you call them poppets? So well, um, at the time when I was making them, I wanted to give them a, a, just a name to separate them because at the time it, it was a pretty, it seemed like to other people outside of my brain that it was a pretty quick transition from the Victorian kind of style of collage to this sort of more whimsical style of collage. But it had been germinating for uh, quite some time. But So I wanted to give it a name to separate it so that that way I could call it something, and I decided to call them Poppets, and um, that just comes from a nickname that my English grandma used to use for me, and um, so I did it sort of in tribute to, to her, and it, the name just fit perfectly because they're so kind of funky and weird, and yeah, so then it just worked out, and so now everybody just kind of calls them that. <laughs> so they're like, I'd like a poppet, please. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and I know <laughs> what they're talking about. <laughs> we probably should have explained this sooner, but I guess better late than never. Um, you're into, so you teach workshops, you make your own art that you sell, mm-hmm. and then you do commissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do commissions where people send me their photos, and I create one of my pieces of art around their photos and um, to their specifications. Um, if they want to dream up whatever they want to dream up, I will I will make it. Well, and what is that like when you have people telling you what they want? Is that as fun as when you're just making your art? Yeah, I actually really, I mean, if there's sort of like loose parameters, I really like it. Um, like I got one of my most favorite recent commissions was of a little girl that I did in a tutu riding on a tricycle. Her mom just sent me a big long list of things that she likes to do. Like she likes to wear her tutu, she loves pink, she likes to ride her tricycle, she, you know, she likes to point at birds and say that they go tweet tweet and things like that. So I incorporated all of that. That was just great because it it just sparks my imagination. I was like, oh, I can put this little girl on a tricycle and I can have birds flying in the sky with little word bubbles that say tweet, tweet and things like that. So that was that was actually a lot of fun. I don't mind, like, it's actually easier if there's a little bit of art direction. And it, I prefer that than just nothing because then I worry, like, is this, are they even going to be happy with what I come up with? If they're <laughs> right. just like, do whatever you want, then that. That freaks me out, too. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where maybe somebody's a lot more literal and um, very specific, and sometimes that can be a little bit confining. But for the most part, I've had people that just sort of tell me a few a few things and then let me have at it, and then I come back to them with a draft. 
phase. So before everything's glued down, I sort of show them um, what I've sketched out and my ideas for the piece. So then that way they have an idea where it's going before I finish it up. So do you do these long distance, like with people all over the country? Oh, yeah, the most of them. I've only done a couple local ones. So most of them are people, it's all done through email, and they'll email me and we'll sort of start a dialogue about what they're interested in, and then uh, they can email me the photos if they have them on their computer. And some people just prefer to send, like, regular, real photos, and mm-hmm. then I can scan those in over here. And and so, yeah, so it all just happens all through email, and it's just great. I've done some for people in Germany. I think those are my furthest away ones, Germany and Canada. And How many do you think you've done total, like these commissions? How many have I done? I'm probably up, like, at... If you include, because I have two versions. I have the sketch version or and then the canvas version. And the sketch version is a little bit, it's less expensive, and it also has less art direction by the client. There's just a couple of formats that they can choose from and tell me some colors and things like that, and I will um, make it. So uh, probably if I include the sketches and the canvas, which are the more in-depth ones, I'm probably at like a... A hundred, I'm thinking, or right around a hundred. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so I'm starting to get much more comfortable with doing the commissions. When I first started doing it, I'd get all freaked out, you know, just to worry that I would. And I still, when I very first get an order, I worry, uh, oh, I just hope I can make something that this person really likes and and make them happy. And so sometimes I, I usually get a little worried right when I'm starting off, and then that fades away while I'm, I'm concentrating and working on the piece. How much are these things? If people are interested in ordering a commission from you, what what is your starting price? Uh, the sketches are seventy five dollars, and um, and then they go up in price. The canvases, which are the ones that you can uh, have lots more art direction in, those start at one ninety five. Okay, but it's still within the range of affordable art. Yeah, I think they're very affordable, especially as you're getting a custom. A totally custom piece of art. Yeah, that that's you really can hang in your house. Yeah, and 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 have your own photos in it. Yeah, yeah, I have photos of your kids and your pets. I put pets in there too. I well, love the ones where I get to do the pets. Yeah, well, it's it's just such a, it, and it's one of those gifts that, especially with people who have, you know, just about everything. You know, it's hard sometimes to figure out what to get people for Christmas. Exactly, or whatever. and they make great anniversary presents. I've had a, most of them. I get. Um, commissions for people's anniversaries and birthdays and weddings, things like that, as well as the holidays. But people like to give them as wedding presents and things, which I think is really sweet. Oh, yeah. it's Well, it's a great gift. And how much lead time do you need if people are interested in, in get, ordering something? Well, I say on my website um, uh, to allow about four to six weeks. And that's sometimes I get them done a lot faster than that. But that's just in case because sometimes I am traveling still to teach workshops and and just if I have a lot of orders it, it can take a while but I I always let people know when they send me the payment and the photos then I send them an email letting them know where they are at on my calendar so that way they're not just waiting and wondering like when is it going to get done so that way they have a date that I'm shooting for to get it done for them when they can expect um, to to see it um, through email and okay. things like that. So you can you know you can tell someone if they order 
in time for Christmas, you'll be able to say, yes, I can get this done in time. Exactly. Or, or no, I'm sorry, I can't get it done by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, I haven't figured out, um, like, a rush order. Like, I've been playing around with the idea of, like, a rush order kind of thing at surcharge, but I haven't figured out how I would do that. But for the most part, if someone, like, desperately needs something, I'll do my best to get it done for them, or I'll just tell them up front, like, there's, you know, I'm sorry, there's no way, but you could maybe do a gift certificate or something like that mm-hmm. instead. Well, if you can talk a little bit about how, because you're, you're really busy, and I, I'm interested in hearing how you divide your time as an artist, because it sounds like you have several revenue streams coming in. Like, you're you're not just getting all your money from workshops or commissions or selling pieces you come up with on your own. Um, how do you divide? What would you say a bulk of your focus is on right now? Um, right now, the bulk of my focus is on commissions because that's like a new part of my business and it's really been growing through word of mouth, which I'm really excited about. So a bulk of my week is spent um, working on commissions, and then I also do illustration work, too. It's just funny, like, when I sit down and list all the different things <laughs> I do, it's crazy, but they they sort of flow in and out in areas of priority. Like, this summer, I didn't teach any workshops, so I didn't really have to concentrate on that. So right now, the bulk of my time is spent on commissions, and I usually spend Monday through Thursday in the studio working on the commissions. And then in the evenings, I work on email and sort of paperwork-type things, like maybe following up with people's orders and ask if I have extra questions for them and things like that. And then on Fridays, I usually try to allow myself, or at least I have been in this schedule that I've kind of gotten into this summer, um, Fridays are supposed to be my play day where I try to make art for myself. And sometimes that actually happens, and (laughs) most times it doesn't. (laughs) Because I feel bad. If I have commissions waiting there, it's so hard for me just to, to not work on them for that one day and but it's also important to play in my in my art and experiment to keep the work growing and changing as well so it's sort of a little paradox going there but so Fridays are supposed to be my play day but more often than not I'm I'm a mean taskmaster boss to myself and so I'm like get to work don't play <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know it's hard to. I try to say, oh, I'm going to just go in my you know, craft room and make something. And a lot of times it's like, no, I better email someone to see if they'll be on the show. <laughs> you know, you know? so it's, it's, it's funny how sometimes you, you get you know, something going that's halfway successful. And then you know, when you see how much time it takes and all the, the boring paperwork side of it, it, it can, it's really funny because I think a lot of people think that artists have this like really relaxed lifestyle where you just get to play all day and, you know. Oh, exactly. But it's, but it's work. There's a lot of administrative work too, but on the plus side, it's all for your business. So, you know, everything you're doing to grow your business, even if it's boring paperwork, is at least, at least it's for you and not, you know, and for your own passion in your own business. But so I try to think about that when I start getting frustrated with email or or things like that I I go okay this you know this counts too this is for my business <laughs> where if you could tell a little bit about your studio um where what is your workspace like and where is it um my workspace is in the 
very front of the house, what would be the formal living room. Okay. So when you first walk into the house to the right is my um, my studio where I do all my artwork. And it doesn't have a door or anything like that. So do that. you have to keep it really clean then or, you know, do you feel yeah, pressure to do um, that? I keep it fairly tidy because of the, of well, Mabel doesn't get into my, my cat Mabel. She's not as bad about getting into my stuff as Maggie was. Maggie would, like, eat everything, oh, like no. ribbon and all kinds of stuff. So it's good because I it really got into the habit of putting everything into bins. And so I try to keep it fairly clean, but it's still, an, you know, an art studio. So there's still kind of random stuff all over the place. But um, I don't really leave anything on the floor anymore because it'll get chewed on or that on or something like that by a pet <laughs> but and so I just have a couple of folding tables in there that I put together and I that's where I work just at these folding tables and and I really kind of like being in the front of the house because it's I'm still a part of the house but I have my own separate art area but I do dream of one day having a little building outside of the house that's like a little separate art studio so that's like my fantasy. But then watch, like I would get it, and then I would feel all separated from the house like, when <laughs> right. I was out there. Right, because I have this you know craft room now that I just love. But what happens is I end up bringing projects upstairs so I can still be part of this, you know, with everybody else, you know. Yeah. So, and I think that outbuilding with uh, I live in suburbia, so I don't have space and any room for an outbuilding. Yeah, I have to na- knock down right knock down a neighbor's house. Say, so, yeah, I'm gonna put a little outbuilding over here. But um, it I think I would do that whole thing too. Where it'd be really cool, and then I'd be like, oh, I wonder what's going on inside, you know? Totally. So I don't know whether it's like a just a fan. Maybe it's just a fantasy. Yeah. Because I think I would get out there, and then I'd be like. Oh, I wonder what Paul's doing inside. <laughs> I want to go inside. And then, like, you know, I feel And then he's like, wait a second. Why did we build this outbuilding? <laughs> yes, why did we spend all this money in this building? But it's a nice fantasy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what makes them fun is, you know, even if you don't get to do that, it's fun to think about it. Yeah, and then I'm like, oh, I could leave my stuff all over the place because I wouldn't have to worry about cats doing anything to it. But, you know, but then I'd probably... Like, this doesn't feel like a studio because I don't have my cat on my table with me. Right. So, anyway, so the formal living room right now works in. Nobody usually uses their formal living room in their house anyway. So we thought, well, we'll just use that as my studio. And then I have, a like, a extra guest room that we have the computer in and everything. Well, it sounds like you have a fun setup, and you're always part of the action still, so that's good, too. Yeah, I yeah. like it. And I'm at the front of the house, so sometimes I feel like Miss, like, nosy neighbor, because I'm always peeking out the window to see, like, what's going on. Oh, you know, it, that's so funny, because I did the same, I was writing my thesis, and I was trying to focus, and I was very pregnant, and I, <laughs> I would watch out the window. Like, I would know, like, if a neighbor came home, and... I'm like, oh, that's mysterious. They're going around back to move the trash bins. You know? Oh, I know. And so I that's would narrate totally for my I husband. Do. I'm like, hey, why is uh, that guy, you know, that guy? And we don't really know everyone's name. So I'd be like, yeah, that guy with the cowboy hat. You know, oh, he's, yeah. He's have, blah, like, blah, 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 blah. I have nicknames for yeah, everybody. Yeah, and I'd just be like, oh, that's interesting. Um, do they have three kids or two kids? Because there's another kid. He's like, Jennifer, how's that thesis going? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm just curious, you know. And I'm just thinking if more people, like, worked – 
in at desks facing outside of their house, we wouldn't. I mean, Neighborhood Watch would like be so oh, easy. I know. Well, I just became because I knew every watch block captain. Yeah, <laughs> I thought, well, no better to do it than me because I'm like all, all, when I'm home, I'm like practically all, looking out the window every ten minutes. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I hear a car. Who's that? <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it, I think for me, it was, it was just, uh, I always wanted to, you know, know what was going on. And I'm also, um, I'm on maternity leave and stuff. It's fun to like, know, like to watch and like know what's going on in your neighborhood. Cause normally I'm never home, you know? Exactly. So I was like, wow, this is kind of neat. You know? Exactly. Yeah. You learn a lot. I learned that the lawn people across the street like to take a nap in my neighbor's driveway after they're done mowing the lawn. Oh, they lay down in the driveway and take a nap? Yeah, they put their hats over their faces and take a nap. Oh, wow. In well, the shade. Well, I was like, well, they work really hard, but it was just kind of funny. <laughs> that is funny. And they probably have no idea that there's this artist across the street watching them. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what are they doing? They're all laying down. And then I was like, oh, I think they're going to take a nap. <laughs> You're like, should I call 911? No, no need, you know. <laughs> no need. They're just picking it up. <laughs> so are you honestly the black captain for Neighborhood Watch? Yeah, I just pretended <laughs> it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah, well, I thought it was a kind of passive thing to do for the association since I already participate. You know, I'm already kind of looking out, so might as well, you know, get recognition for my nosiness. <laughs> <laughs> put it to good use. Yeah, put it to good use. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so it's great. I just love working from home and being at home, and it's like pulling teeth getting me to leave the house. So, But once I'm there, I'm fine, and I'm like in the moment, and I'm totally into it, but it's like the days leading up to it, I'm all like, I don't want to leave. I want to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many days a year are you on the road? I mean, how many trips do you take a year? Well, a lot less now. Um, I've really cut it back. Like this year, I think I only did like seven trips. And some of those were just like five days and some of them are longer. Like this uh, this one, I think will be like eight days. Oh, wow. Um, one I do in Portland because I'm filming another DVD in Oregon and then I'm going to go teach in Portland. So I'll be gone for about 10 days for that one. So that's a pretty significant amount of time. And then I come back and like all the work's piled up. So it kind of stresses me out. Like I know that when I come back, it'll take me a few weeks to kind of dig out of of being gone from that trip. Right. Yeah. So that, that kind of freaks me out too. But once I'm on the road and once I'm there, I'm, I'm usually great, but it's just, I just, it's like so hard to leave, but um, but I used to teach a lot of workshops. Like one year, 2004, I did, I think it was like 26 different locations. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was gone like almost nonstop. It was crazy. Now I'm really cutting it back. And then I think next year I'm only going to do like four, maybe three or four different places and just see how that goes and see, because that's still the biggest source of my income. So trying to cut it back and see kind of how it goes with having enough income as well. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, but it sounds like it's a good idea. Otherwise, you're, you know, so you're trying to avoid, you don't want to burn yourself out. Exactly. I'm just starting to get tired because it's been almost five years of doing that. And then you you just start to kind of get a little tired of all the travel. And I just love meeting all the new people. And it's so exciting when I'm actually there, but it's all the travel to the different locations and hauling the supplies that gets just really exhausting. Right, because you bring supplies for everyone? or did I just bring a few uh, of 
a few share supplies and then the workshop booklets and there are quite a few supplies that I have to bring but then there's also a supply list. I try to keep it as small as possible for the for the attendees of like their own paints and their own paint brushes and their own working surface and stuff like that. Because if you have people share too much stuff, it just it gets kind of crazy. Well, and also I think it gets really messy because I think we all take better care of our own stuff than we do if it's like the common paintbrush totally. or the cape. Yeah, totally. So you have like this big glob, a big mess <laughs> left. Yeah, and then like somebody always takes the you know, the blue paint back to their desk and then and then everybody's like, Where's the blue paint? There's like all this chaos. So it's yeah. just easier for everybody to have their own paint. <laughs> you've learned you've learned along the way. Yeah, exactly. Well this is like a question my husband um who who helps me with the editing um of this show, he he always cringes when I ask this question because I think with very few exceptions, I've asked it every single episode. And I, I always say, okay, let's talk about the whole art versus craft thing. And now I'm to a point where I almost crack up when I ask because people seem interested in the responses. And I know I'm very interested in hearing each artist, um, their take on it. But my uh-huh. husband's like that you ask everybody that. And I'm like, well, he, you know, he's not really. Well, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So, Jeff, it's a good question. I'm going to keep asking you. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I, you're doing something that really is, you know, kind of, there's a lot of like techniques that scrapbookers would use to alter things. And, yeah. and then there's also, but, uh, but what you're doing is fine art. So it's, and it's, you know, way different than a scrap, I mean, than scrapbooking. However, I could see what this would appeal probably. Do you have scrapbookers who show up at your workshops? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I started a line of scrapbook products so you're kind of you're you've tapped into that also yeah so how how do you navigate that you know that the the art you know, art side and the craft side and and how do galleries receive your work well i think i mean as far as i'll answer the gallery part first as far as the galleries i mean i never even when i was at, at graduating from art college i never really thought my work would fit in with like a you know, like a real conceptual fine art gallery. I I think my work fits in good with like a fine craft gallery. And so they're like a little bit more open to sort of more funky, whimsical stuff. And I think what's interesting about, like to me, it's not just like fine art versus craft. There's also all these levels like in the fine art world because there's a lot of people in the fine art world that wouldn't even think like my work is fine art. Like if I went back to school, I could almost guarantee like there's people doing very conceptual, you know, rolling in the paint kind of work. (laughs) And they would consider that their work is fine art and my work is craft or less fine art than their work because you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, yeah. work is conceptual. So there's like all these different levels and, and it's just depending on like where you're at and like where you feel about your work. And I, I just try not to judge. Like I think if people are being creative and following their own voice, their own creative voice, then that's fine art to me. I think the difference between like craft and fine art might be one very small thing. Craft would be maybe replicating somebody else's vision, whereas fine art is creating your own vision. So there are so many crafters out there that I would consider their work fine art. Like if I go on Etsy 
and there's so much work on there. I'm like, that's fine art. You know, that's totally, like, that's art to me, like, because they're following their own creative voice. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily just, like, duplicating a, a pattern or a, they're injecting their own personality into the work. So that's, to me, the difference between art and craft. Well, thank you for sharing your definition. I hope it made yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like you're at a point with your work where you don't, you're not really looking for approval from, like, the artist uh you know, p- people at art school saying, wow, this is fine art. This is fantastic. I mean, you're going to keep doing this well, regardless. Well, there's always going to be people that are, because I have a friend that does all the outdoor art festivals, and, and I get some people going, like relatives and stuff, that go, oh, you should do the outdoor art festivals. That's what, like, real artists do. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't I don't want to sit outside all day. But I have a fr- friend, so... Then I have a friend who does all the outdoor art festivals, and she tried to get into this one gallery, and they actually looked down on her that she did the outdoor art festivals. So there's always, like, some other level. So I think you just have to be comfortable with wherever you're at and whatever kind of art you like to create and not really worry about where you are on whatever ladder of other people's idea about art. If people can let go of the whole, um, what do other people think of my work and just get caught up in what they love? Exactly. And I, yeah, I think like letting go of what other people think about your work is crucial to like being really creative. And that is the hardest part because I know even when I'm working, I'm either thinking what's the client going to think or what's my mom going to think or what's this going to think or that. And so it's really, I think if we could just forget forget about what other people think about our work, then that, that would be the best way to tap into our our true voice. And how do you find, you know, discover your true voice? I mean, what inspired you to do, I mean, do you have certain artists that inspire you to do the work you're doing now? Or how do, how do you kind of tap into that real creative vein? It just sort of evolved on its own. I mean, I made lists of different artists that I am inspired inspired by and more specifically than just the artist what about their work inspired me so whether it was their line quality or their use of color so that way I could avoid creating really derivative work and just notice what uh, like very specifically what about the work inspired me so if it was line quality I wrote down line or if it was color or whimsical themes or things like that and then and then I just made a lot of work because I think the only way to really get comfortable with working towards a new way of working is to make a lot of work so and to make as much of it as you can as fast as you can. And then you can almost see yourself growing with each new piece. And how much time do you think it would – if someone's sitting there, maybe they're in a corporate job or they're um, just in art school – they're trying to figure out how they can really find their true voice as an artist. How long do you think it takes? I mean, I know obviously it's it's probably something that you we work our whole lives to create the things we make. Oh yeah, we're but, always evolving and things like that. But well, if you're just getting started, it just depends how much time you want to put into it. In in art school, we had this thing, this project where we had to make 80 pieces of art in three weeks. Wow! And, and the idea was that. First, maybe you're kind of picky and you go really slow, but then you get to like the last week and you still have 50 pieces of art to make, so then you just start hurrying up. And and then you get 
into your subconscious because you're not worrying about what exactly, you know, what what you're doing. You're just trying to get it done, and so you're forging ahead. So, I mean, I would you could take a couple months and give yourself a parameter of I I'm going to do this many pieces. I'm going to do three quick pieces a day like a, that I just spend an hour on each or something like that and just try to just keep going. They're not going to be like maybe your best work, but you always have to do a certain amount of work to get to the next stage in in your work. So you just kind of have to let go of perfectionism and just keep forging ahead. And when you made your 80 pieces of art, what kind of stuff did you do? Is it all painting? No, because some of the parameters were all were different. Like they, there were parameters to each piece. So some said that it had to be a sculpture and some said that it had to be like a, a hanging thing or oh, wow. this or that. And so then they were kind of open-ended parameters, which you could interpret any way you wanted. And, um, and so just all different kinds of things. And then we'd lay them all out at the end of the three weeks and start to notice different themes that would pop up and different elements that would pop up between all the works. And then we would journal about it and then uh, pick out the elements that, that we thought were the strongest and then start utilizing those in, in the new work and going forward. Well, I think it's a fantastic idea. I wish I had the time to do all of, you know, just get started today. But um, yeah, but I think I mean, that sounds fun. You don't fun. have to do 80 yeah. pieces of art in three weeks. You could yeah. just try to do maybe give yourself a goal of three pieces of art a week or something like that. Or even one, if you could maybe one's a stretch, just one piece of art a week, something like that. Just as long as you're working, you're right. growing. Well, I think it's fantastic. And uh, that's something that folks can try at home, you know, because I, th- I think that is a great way to get over the whole, I'm not that good at this, I, I don't really know what I'm doing, because I mean, you make 80 pieces of art, or just, if you, that doesn't have to be the magic number, but if you do, if you just do the work, you're going to get to that next level. You know? Oh, exactly, so. exactly, and, and I mean, and it doesn't mean to say like everything was really good that I made, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I don't think I have any of them left, I think I threw it all away, but the idea is the actual, the creation of the work is what gets you to the next stage, not necessarily that you're making like art for your living room or anything like that. Right, and were, were there any elements that you can recall from that ex- exercise that are in your work today? That Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the line, the line quality has come back. It's funny how like your work goes in like these cyclical cycles because I can see like the line, I was very big on line drawing in my work like back when I did that and so now that's sort of come back as well um that's a specific thing that i remember i have to try to remember the other things but i know specifically the line quality definitely still in there what kind of advice do you have for budding artists or people that are just maybe don't consider themselves an artist but they want to get into collage and and start doing some of the things that you're you've demonstrated such expertise in well i think just you know, you could get, um, there's so many different mixed media books out there nowadays. You could look at different techniques. And a lot of them are very easy techniques in all of these books. And you could start taking, there's so many workshops available by a variety of artists that you could take. Um, if there's a workshop in your area, just start taking a workshop. And all of these workshops are open for people from beginning 
to advance the level. So you don't have to already know what you're doing when you're going to go take a workshop. And a workshop is a great place to start because then you're getting personal instruction. And yeah, you get a chance to try try out some techniques under the watchful eye of the artist teaching the class. Yeah, exactly. And I want to do I do want to take a moment too to just uh, mention uh, your book. You did the collage discovery workshop was your first book, mm-hmm. and then you did collage discovery workshop beyond the unexpected. And these are both published by Northlight Books. And did you seek out a you know a book deal, or did someone approach you, or how did, how did that work? Well, for the yeah, for the first book, I I wrote up a proposal and then I started shopping it around, and to the different craft publishers, and I found and Northlight was very interested, and I actually got the book deal like right maybe two weeks before I got laid off from my full time job. So it just it worked out really well. Isn't that interesting how stuff like that just seems to line up? I know, it's I really... know. So that worked out really well because then I felt like, okay, well, and I've got this book to work on and I've got all this stuff to do. So it was actually really good that I didn't have to work a full-time job anymore. Yeah, because that would have been hard to fit it all in. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, exactly. And then you also have your DVDs and you have two out and you said you're getting ready for another one. Um, yeah, I'm going to make another one on doing wax collage. Oh, very cool. And these are, um, the one is, first one's very simply called Collage, Textures, and t- Techniques, and the other one's More Collage, Textures, and Techniques. So, and these, were, did you do, tape these at the same time? Yeah, we taped them at the same time, and then we thought they'd all be on one, but then we ended up with so much content that we divided them into two. I see. And it's this was produced by Creative Catalyst Productions. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I mean, I I wasn't sure what to expect. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what this is going to be like, you know, and it's like midnight and I put it in. And I was really like, wow, this is really fun. <laughs> you know. So, you know, it almost seemed like to me it would be kind of fun to, if you had like craft night at your house and you don't have the benefit of having Claudine come <laughs> to your home. Oh, exactly. You know, People you do could, that all the time. You could like get together. Watch them with a bunch of people yeah and you kind of then you can pause it if you need to figure out okay what do I do next and and I think the the well books are fabulous and I have tons of craft books and um and I love your books I think the instructions are cool and you're giving people um a lot of photographs so it's not just okay do this step one step two it's like oh yeah you see well, every step photograph <laughs> well no they don't no, they just like, look at the picture right so and you then, gotta have those pictures right, right you probably see that in your workshops or if you've written instruction they're like well how do we do that and as well it's right there on the paper but yeah i think people especially with art and craft it's like a lot of people are visual learners you know oh, definitely and they yeah see. so it definitely you have to have those pictures there or people aren't gonna understand like what's going on and so you do a lot of, you know, the collages where it's either on canvas or um, in the cigar boxes. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a cigar box purse that people can make. There's some other really cool art for the wall. That, um, Thank you. Yeah, I love this stuff. And I just, I'm trying to imagine, I'm, I'm like, I have all these visions now of, and we'll see how much time I have before Christmas, of, of some fun Christmas presents. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I think it'd be a lot of fun, and I could I could use some of this fabulous stuff I have been, you know, hoarding in my craft room. Yes, <laughs> yes, use it up, because then it makes room for more. Exactly, exactly, and you have less guilt. Um, I, I have just a few more questions before I let you go. Um, I'm curious about what do you do when, you probably don't have a lot of downtime, but when you do and you're not 
making art for yourself is in your your normal collages and so forth. Are there other art and craft forms that you like to kind of just play around with at your for you know in, during your leisure time? I wish I could say yes to that because then I'd be a more well-rounded person. Hey, you're, well, you're young. I mean, there's still time to get into all this other stuff. But I'm like, no, I'm either working or like I'm emailing <laughs> or I'm, you know, or I'm thinking about work or something like that. Or like I'll go to, a, you know, I can be dragged away to a movie um, or maybe every once in a while can I get book of, get to read a book in there, but really I don't wind, I always feel like if I'm home, I should be working, so it's kind of bad. Well, it's probably, I mean, but you're, you're a really successful artist, so I think that, um, you know, it's obviously paid off for you, you know, you've, you've put, yeah, you put the time into it. Yeah, but I should be it. more well-rounded. I'm working on it. Yeah, well, do, so do you have any interest in, like, the fiber arts, like knitting or sometimes yeah not like yeah I don't know what I would do because I have Um, all these visions in my head of like incorporating see I have a problem I am not into just one thing I am like I interview all these different people and I am really genuinely interested in every single thing that a person makes by hand I I just think it's it's oh exactly oh yeah well that's like most of my students they're so they so diverse they try all kinds of different things and I would like to experiment with more sewing and embroidery maybe in my work. That's something I'd like to experiment with. Yeah, I'm excited to think about some of the, you can crochet some little things and put them in the um, mixed media presentations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this could really expand your your work to even, you know, into fiber collage and all yeah, that. Yeah, I have yeah. been thinking about that. That's been on the table for yeah. a little while. But it's, it's, I mean, the stuff you're doing now is fabulous. And look at me leading you into, like, yeah, go into the craft store and buy, like, one of everything. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, yeah. it's so good to experiment because that's what keeps the work fresh. Yeah, well, I love what you're doing now. And even if you never changed a thing, which I know you're oh, always no, evolving. Oh, no, it has to grow. Yeah, it but, has but to I, grow. I mean, I love what you do, and, and I think um, – it's it's really great. So and thank you for you know sharing your work and your DVDs and in your books because I think a lot of times you might think oh I'm getting paid to do these things but not every artist is comfortable sharing the behind the scenes and oh well thank and you and I think it's great and that you're you doing for, that for your interview. Yeah, well I want to see um well, what's next for you. Um, what can we expect next? I don't know. That's like the million dollar question. <laughs> I don't know. In the near future, I'm focusing more on doing the commission work as well as illustration and things like that and just sort of refining my existing business. And I don't know what's going to be next on the next new development on the horizon. Well, we'll, we'll be intrigued, I'm sure, when you, whatever you do next. You know, cause I think we'll have to see. It's always a big surprise. Yeah, we have um, a great thing going, and people can listen also to your podcast because you're doing some interesting um, you know, craft challenges where um, in the format, is a format always your husband kind of tells you, you know, gives you the, the – Yeah, the... he gives me a theme, and then I have 20 minutes to make art around that theme. And then we record my, like, freak out while I'm (laughs) making the art in only 20 minutes. And the idea kind of goes back to that just by having a time limit, it forces you to loosen up because you're, you know, you can only expect so much in 20 minutes. So you've got to try to have some fun with it. And 
not be too much of a perfectionist. So it's a lot of fun. And then some people also submit their artwork too. And so it's sort of interactive as well. Well, it's a great idea. And I love the idea so much that um, the folks at Northlight Books were fabulous and gave me some books to give away um, as prizes to people. So we had talked about kind of like, okay, what kind of, what can we do? What can we have people do to get a book? You know, because we want to get them kind of crafting, get them making art, get them, you know, to do something that will hopefully in inspire some creativity. And uh, what were you thinking a good challenge would be for them? Um, well, I picked out the word sweet. Sweet. I like it. From my pile of words. Is that how you work, the pile of words? I mean, is that... Does that guide a lot of the work you do, or is it just for the challenge that you do this? Um, sometimes if I don't know what to do with myself, I'll just pick out a word. <laughs> okay, so you have a stack of words. It always helps to have a jumping off point. Yeah, so these are just like a pile of words you have written on a piece of paper? Or? They're those magnetic poets. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Magnetic. I love magnetic poetry. Yeah, so then it helps because there are like already like little words, and so I'll just yeah. pick one out. Okay, so sweet is the word. Sweet, yeah. And tell us the rules. Well, the rules are to try to create, and it doesn't have to be a collage. It could be a painting. It could be a sculpture. It could be whatever you want. You could knit it, anything creative around the word and your interpretation of the word, and try to keep it to about 20 minutes. Awesome. So everyone, I mean, we should all be able to cram 20 minutes in. Yeah, you know, we should I, all be able to I do mean, that. we have to allow ourselves at least 20 minutes. I mean... Yeah, we, we owe it to ourselves. <laughs> yes, we owe it to ourselves. <laughs> well, and then you feel so good after it because a lot of times we're like, oh, there's just not enough time in the day to make some art. But if you could just do something like, you know, it's like exercising. Once you've done it, you're like, yay, I did it. Oh, I feel so good. Thank you so much for your time. You've been so generous with all this time, and I've had a great time. Uh, it's been great to with talk you. to you. Thanks to Claudine for sharing her story and inspiring us all to break out those family photos or maybe some photos we find at a state sale or wherever and make some great collages for the wall or scrapbook. I hope you all do take 20 minutes to complete Claudine's challenge by making a piece of art in any medium that is your interpretation of the word sweet. I'm going to try to do my collage this weekend and I'll be posting my artwork along with all the submissions on craftsanity.com and all I need you to do is scan or photograph your entry and email it to me along with uh, your contact information. You can send that to jennifer at craftsanity.com. I will not post your home address, of course, but I, it would be helpful to have that so I know where to send the books uh, when we pick the winners. Four winners will be randomly selected by little Abby, my oldest daughter, a.k.a. Craft Sanity's Vice President of Fun. And I'll be posting all those entries on craftsanity.com. Good luck, everyone, and have a blast doing this. I think this is going to be really fun. I'd also like to take a moment to thank Lydia in Tampa, Florida, and Marsha in Lakewood, Colorado for supporting Craft Sanity. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all of you who continue to send me wonderful and supportive emails. I love hearing from you about your lives and your projects and what you think of the show. I'm really just so humbled to think that you, dear listener, are out there crafting away like many of you, I'm not surrounded by a pack of cheerleaders all day and find that I sometimes have to dig deep to find the energy to continue pursuing my passion while kind of spinning all the other plates in my life, you know, with, you know, family and work and everything else and trying to also kind of craft myself an authentic life where I feel like I'm really doing what I'm meant to do. And I think this podcast is kind of leading me in that direction. I know I feel, even though it's an ungodly hour when I tape this intro, 
I'm energized by just the creative people I talk to and the great feedback that I get from all of you. And I just want to thank you. It sounds ridiculous for me to be like, oh, thank you, thank you every week, but I can't help it. It really means a lot to have people I can't see support my big crafty dreams. I, I do appreciate that. Thank you very much. So this brings me to the end of another rambling exit after an interview. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you all create a sweet piece of art to enter into the drawing for Claudine's fabulous books. Remember, there's multiple winners, so your chances of winning a prize is greater than usual. So good luck with that. Remember the deadline, noon Eastern Time, Monday, September 11th. Good luck. Have a fabulous week, and don't forget to craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.